It's a wonderful Saturday. May is over. June is beginning. Summer is in full swing. And I am done with university. I'm victorious. I've paid it all off. The goal is not to draw out your insecurities, but to build upon your strength. Only then can you succeed in doing what you want to do. There's a certain level of confidence that comes from being able to do what you set your mind to and focusing on your ability to be able to achieve results. Vocabulary is a very important part of communication. And I think for a lot of people, even myself, a simple vocabulary, however a concise vocabulary, that accurately and briefly and bluntly gets to the point of the issue, is more effective than any 16th century abstract equivocating vocabulary. It is good to be educated. I do agree with that. However, I think the point of education is rooted in practicality. As somebody who effectively communicates ideas, who understands ideas, it is important to meet the ideas that you come up with, the ideas that you discover, and the ideas that you learn with a very practical mindset. There is a sense of literature, and then there is a sense of science. And while it is great to be creative, the creative, of, the creative function of man needs to have a drive and a purpose. Living a simple life, living without wants or desires that distract you from your end goal, but still sort of acknowledging the needs that your heart desires is a very important idea to the establishment of character. Basically, in plain English, it's not so much that our wants are evil or they distract us or they're there, there's something that is negative. To the contrary, our wants are what make us human. To the contrary, our desires for things that are not needed, but that would be nice, are reflections of a greater pain of not having that convenience. Do you buy the $30 toaster at the grocery store? Or do you buy the $10 toaster? If it does exactly the same thing you want it to do in the end.
I find it fascinating how American civilization is always built on convenience, but how gimmicky and how useless and utterly devoid of fundamental principle some of our products are. There's a juicer called Juicero, and what it does is it squeezes already processed orange juice into a cup pending your phone connecting the juicer to Wi-Fi. And I get that's a cool idea, but where is the utility? Where is the actual purpose for doing something like that? And so it is with very scientific gimmicky products that a lot of people buy. Everybody is concerned about their health, but what does that matter if we have a red meat rich diet and we're trying to lower our blood pressure with berberine or metformin? It seems we're trying to fix a problem that we ourselves have caused instead of looking at the root cause of that problem, identifying where the problem stems from, and fixing it. This is a problem for modern America. This is a problem specific to the 21st century. That we create problems out of good intentions or out of the idea that our problems solve other deeper problems. But we just created a problem and that's how most business models operate. Take, for example, my situation. I am a customer service representative for a retail organization. And sometimes things do not go according to plan. Sometimes simply changing the method by which the customer interacts with our system could be a problem in and of itself for the end user. I've been in this company for about five years. I have a very stable level of income. As somebody who is single, I have a lot of freedom. I have a lot of career history for someone who is 26 years old. I've worked with individuals who are 50 to 80 primarily. So perhaps in my absence of being inculcated into a youth civilization or society, and as a result of my desire to further my career, I have cut off a lot of that youthful energy this is not a bad thing. To me, I feel it is an advancement in technological ways of thinking. An advancement in character. To me, I think it's the biblical phrase of turning the hearts to the fathers and the fathers turning their hearts to the children 
in a very metaphorical but also literarily sound sense. Generations are not born so that they can exist on their own and forget about older generations. They are born to take care of older generations and provide progress and to they themselves grow old and have the same thing happen to them. Too often I feel in my generation there is a cultural and educational divide that divides somebody with a mind who's able to function and think properly as an adult with somebody focused on the trivial pleasures and the childish behavior of adolescence or early childhood. And I think the problem that has most often plagued people in my generation is the lack of leadership amongst parental units, amongst leaders in society. To a certain extent this can be a positive as it creates a sense of freedom and rebellion from some sort of regime mentality that could be disclosed as aut autonomous or autocratic. In religion, a lot of the times subjects of religion end up, instead of questioning their religion and growing, end up becoming infantilized is the best word. And these individuals who go back to religion because they are looking for enlightenment often come back from the churches that they go to feeling discouraged and feeling like they have not grown. Because to a certain extent I feel like they've outgrown the need for religion. Religion in itself is a baseline for a lot of people. And I digress with the atheistic point of view that says that religion is something negative and dulls the mind. To be fair, it can, if it's used in a very negative way. But if it's used in a way that encourages a certain sense of stability in a subject's life, it can lead to results in scientific literature pointing to the idea that people who are more conservative, who have religious affiliation, have less mental disorder. This is especially apparent among women, of all people. And this is what I found in the medical literature, which was very interesting. That it, as it turns out, conservative men are the least effective, affected by mental decline, but it is liberal women who primarily in relation to the percentage, in relation, in relation to the statistics, incur the greatest consequence of mental illness as a result of their ideology. It may not, there may be lurking factors. 
perhaps that study was politically motivated. But to me, it seems like the evidence is linked toward a lower sense of neuropathy, of nervousness, and stress for people who have conservative opinions. Now, to the extent that this nervousness is always a bad thing, that's not entirely true. Neuropathy is a simp simply the scientific, um, you, you know, the, the, the uh, psychological definition for neurosis, meaning nervousness or excitement. And it's often erroneously attributed to bad behavior. To have neuropathy does not necessarily mean you are beholden to your nervousness or your neuropathy and you act in a bad way. To the contrary, a lot of people who suffer from neuropathy often actually have an advantage over people who are overly comfortable with their mental point of view. If you never test your point of view to the point where you're finding criticism in your own opinion, how are you ever going to grow? And to the point of a lot of people in the secular community, I think that neuropathy can be positioned in a very good way to help people question their very foundations of their beliefs and come to a greater understanding of the world around them. It's a double-edged sword. On one hand, you have a sense of nervousness, a sense of non-committal unconfidence that permeates the mind when you're taking things from a subjective point of view and viewing them in, in a larger consensus. You're less important. You don't have a sense of normalcy in yourself knowing that you are infinitely more important than anybody else's opinion. And as a result, I think that facet, that lurking factor of um, questioning and criticism, self-criticism, self-denial, is this correct, is this not correct, to what extent does this exist? A very clinical approach gives a very specific approach, and that's why a lot of very successful scientists are more along the lines of having higher neuropathy. And, and, and more liberal beliefs, but where I think it digresses from the point is we're not saying, we're not supposed to be just saying question everything and accept nothing. There are fundamental axioms you must base your life and your behavior upon, otherwise you're going to end up like the Coney 2012 person. He was the epitome of neuropathy. He was so concerned about Coney, Joseph Coney, and all of the children in Africa, and the Lord's Resistance Army. All of that uh, story 
just the, the sensationalization. How can he? How can he motivate and you know actionalize people, make them active in helping the world? And the problem, though, is I think he had a certain level of what some people would maybe, without good taste, label as Messiah Syndrome. Messiah Syndrome is the result, I believe, and I hypothesize, of an excess amount of empathy and neuropathy. Because neuropathy is the ability for somebody to question their own beliefs and not have that affect their own internal systems of thought. To the extent that we are advanced human beings, neuropathy can be very useful in situations where you want to change behavior or change thoughts or come to a higher conclusion than previously discovered because what it does is it rad rationalizes the empirical world in a very effective way. On the other hand though, neuropathy plus empathy can be a cause for disaster because people start to care and emotionalize the world around them instead of empiricize their way of thinking into rationalization. And you turn a very good thing into something very negative with a very small change. Instead of thinking in terms of, does this make sense? How concrete can we understand this specific facet? Irrespective of what I believe underneath, which is also important, because to forget that is another problem of neuropathy. You need to have axioms in your life. You need to have a sense of creativity. You are not a robot. You are not a thinking machine that learned how to become emotional or to have feelings or to have worth. You are a creature of worth, of emotion, um, of consciousness that has learned to think. And so in the great experiment of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, it's not necessarily a matter of the egg or the chicken, it's a matter of what came first, life or no life. Was the clinical reason for why the chicken exists more important than the life of the chicken in the egg and in the chicken? That phrases it in a much more useful perspective and in a very philosophical perspective as well, does the tree fall in the forest if nobody is there to hear it? Well, what does it matter if the tree itself has its own level of consciousness? What does the tree care about somebody else hearing it or somebody else perceiving it? We take things from the tree's perspective. That to me is a much more logical approach than imposing the will of some higher level being upon the consciousness of the tree or the non-consciousness of the tree. And so to me, I think a more important question than 
is something worth meaning, or is something does it actually make a sound in the forest? Is what can we what can we attribute reality to? Really, do you wake up in the morning and you ask yourself, what is that tree doing on the other side of the mountain? And if it doesn't really have any meaning, if it really doesn't matter, if it doesn't help you with your job, doesn't help you get food, doesn't help you find shelter, doesn't help you start a family, you know, it doesn't help you do any of these things that are in your mind, to what extent is that useful even to think about philosophically? I think to a certain extent in universities, university professors become a problem for people, especially adolescents who are just out of high school, because they pose questions in a way that may actually be antiquated already in just asking the question. You know, what does it matter if we're asking questions about nature if we already have a computer algorithm that works better than a doctor. And yeah, of course it's important for maybe like a, a simulacra of finding a transcendent way of understanding science and encouraging the mind to grow, such as the case with high school algebra and trigonometry and calculus, which a lot of Americans don't even use in their adult life but it does contribute to helping the mind grow in a very mathematical and formulated way that encourages a scientific opinion. And it does help pave, pave a little bit of the path for when the dam breaks, because then the water doesn't destroy the whole town. But the problem is, instead of paving the path for when the dam breaks, why would we do that instead of reinforce a dam or reroute water to where it needs to be so that we fix a problem instead of cause a problem that we then posited as a solution? I think this is going nowhere but this gives you a good sense of the problems that I grapple. It's a very difficult problem that can be solved so simply by living a good life, by finding some sort of conservative belief axiom, some sort of categorical imperative to base your life on, but then ultimately, as time goes by, understanding consequentialism the idea that consequences happen and you must influence the outcome to achieve what you absolutely want in this world. I think to a certain extent the the ideal moral philosophy is one of rules, of regulations, of guidelines, but then a spirit of following those guidelines based on principles and organizing those principles as you see fit to enact a good result. Because they are guidelines. 
morality is dictated not only upon principle, but upon a very spiritual sense of doing right. And so it is with these beliefs and these systems and these arguments that can be made for and against other, other facets of life. I think this worldview is a very holistic point of view. It's a very honest, blunt point of view. And I would do much better in life if I did not have to explain that and I could simply live it. So by golly, let's live it. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend.